Hi, welcome to Let's Talk About It with me, Ani White, where every week I talk about a documentary that I watched and want to talk about. You can hit me up on Instagram at Let's Talk About It and tell me all your thoughts about the documentary you talk about today. You can also go there or send me an email at Let's Talk About It at gmail.com and let me know what documentary you want me to talk about next. So this is episode two, and this week's documentary is God Forbid, The Sex Scandal That Brought Down a Dynasty. It's one hour and 49 minutes. One place you can find it is on Hulu in the U.S. And the synopsis is Giancarlo Granda, former pool attendant at the Fontainebleau Hotel, shares the intimate details of a seven-year relationship with a charming older woman, Becky Falwell, and her husband, the evangelical Trump stalwart, Jerry Falwell Jr. And this is directed by Billy Corbin. Let me take a minute to just let you know some trigger warnings. There is suicidal ideation, sexual coercion, abuse. There's a lot of sex in this since it is a lot about sex scandals. So just be aware of that going in before you listen or before you watch the documentary. The people who are interviewed in the documentary are Giancarlo, of course, his sister, his dad, there's a writer of a book about the scandal, and then some investigative reporters as well. So Giancarlo sits down, and we see him mentally preparing himself to do these interviews for the documentary, and he just says, you know, his parents are going to watch this. So it's obviously a little bit embarrassing. And the quote on screen is from Eric Hoffer, who wrote The Temper of Our Time. And the quote just says, what starts out in America as a mass movement ends up as a racket, a cult, or a corporation. And then we get scenes from Miami, the ocean, fancy hotel, people partying. And that's when you realize that you are seeing the Fontainebleau Hotel. This is where Giancarlo was a pool attendant, and basically his job was just to bring towels, fix umbrellas, and just interact with guests. Now we go to March 13th, 2012. Just a usual day for Giancarlo, and he notices an attractive woman. He calls her a cougar. She's in her 40s, and she's taking pictures of him. And so he approaches her and asks her why she's taking pictures of him and she tells him not to bother flirting with these young girls and that that they don't know what they're doing and so she talks to him for a bit before eventually asking him to go back to her hotel room now this time Giancarlo he's 20 years old and there is one little hitch to this which she eventually tells him and that is that her husband wants to watch Now, I do remember hearing about the fall from grace for the Falwells, but on the screen, we get some flashes of all the news reports that came out about it at the time. And then we start to learn a little bit more about Giancarlo. He's from Westchester, Florida, which is near Miami, and he's from a Cuban working class family. We see some of his family members that his childhood was fairly normal for Miami standards He was raised in a conservative religious family, and he was quite social, went to a Catholic high school, but then in his teen years got into what he calls like addictive video games and became more introverted, 
but then after high school, got into living this healthy lifestyle. So he was still shy, but he decides getting this job at the Fontainebleau is going to help him get out more and help him save some money. So he is working full time, going to school part time and getting lots of tip money. But this world at the Fontainebleau Hotel is a completely a whole new world to him. And in March, this is when he tells his sister that day, tells his sister about the proposition that this woman has made him. And he does say he should have listened to his sister. And she says, yeah, he should have listened to me too, because she was obviously thought this was not a great idea. So this older woman, her kids were at the Fontainebleau. So she suggests that Giancarlo meet them at a day's inn, which is around the block. He does tell his sister just in case that there's an issue. He wants her to know where he'll be. And he basically blames him ever starting this whole thing on being a horny 20-year-old. He says he knew it was probably stupid, but he went through with it anyway. So he goes to the day's inn. Becky is her name. She gives him a drink. And then she says, let's go somewhere more private and is basically, you know, seducing him. And, you know, he says the Jack Daniels helped loosen him up. And there's a small hotel room that they go back to. There are two beds. Her husband is on one bed. He is drinking. He's got his jeans open. Basically, he's excited, which you know, my skin is crawling when you think about who this is, but I digress. Okay. This kid actually tells him, you know, if you get uncomfortable or jealous, just tell me to stop and I will stop. And then Becky does say that this is just going to be oral sex. And Giancarlo talking about it is getting embarrassed. Like he's cringing thinking about this moment. The husband gets up. And he goes to the corner where he starts masturbating. And Giancarlo basically says this is like a cuckold thing. He's obviously uncomfortable that the husband is there, but he does want to have sex with Becky. So he goes through with it and he says he feels a connection with her right away. And he thinks she is going to want to do this again. And I mean, he was right. Now, in later times, the Falwells deny that Jerry was ever there during these liaisons between Becky and Giancarlo, but whatever. Now, Giancarlo says he thought he knew what he was getting himself into. You know, they talk, and Jerry and Becky tell him that they help a lot of young people if he ever needs help. They can help him, and he finds that they have some common beliefs. He was raised Republican and Becky's getting excited. Like she thinks he's perfect. And one funny thing, I just have to point this out. She, she ends up giving him a good review on TripAdvisor. So you like see the TripAdvisor um, like comment section for the Fontainebleau where Becky like leaves a review saying like how wonderful John Carlo is. Anyway, I just thought that was kind of interesting and funny that someone eventually found that, like someone dug that up. Anyway, uh, this would be a few weeks later, March 22nd. 
Jerry sends Giancarlo photographs that they took at the Fontainebleau. There's one of he and Becky. There's one of he and Jerry. And he ends up showing his sister the pictures. And his sister recognizes them. So he Googles them. And this is when he finally figures out that these people he's met, this is Jerry Falwell Jr. He's the president of Liberty University, which Giancarlo didn't even really know what that was. But what it is is a nonprofit Christian university that is located in Lynchburg, Virginia. And this is when Giancarlo kind of finds out what the background of Liberty University was. And he sees Jerry's father, Jerry Falwell Sr., and learns about his ascent in money and politics through the televising of his sermons, how he founded the Moral Majority and helped people like Ronald Reagan get elected. So he's looking up all this stuff, and he sees some of the more recent things, like what Jerry Falwell said about 9-11, that it was like a the fault of homosexuals. And Giancarlo basically tells Jerry Jr. that he thinks his dad's a piece of shit. <laughs> and Jerry Jr. is not affected by this. He's like, eh, lots of people think that I'm not like my dad. I'm a business guy. I see the future of all this. And we see the writer of the book about the scandal now, and he compares them to being like Southern Gatsby's, like very rich, but very sloppy. And we see Jerry talking about how he met Becky. Now we like see some interviews and ugh. so Jerry Jr. met Becky when she was 13 and he was 18. So, yeah. Now, ugh, sorry, it's it's just so gross. Anyway, he's making jokes about it basically in this interview. But Becky grew up in North Carolina in a religious family. She would tell people that her dad was in timber, but that was actually not true. Um, her dad's money came from trailer parks, and he ends up going to prison for tax evasion. Jerry Jr., of course, went to Liberty University, and that is where he met Becky's older sister. So I guess that's how they met, was through Becky's older sister. Now, Becky does eventually go to Liberty University, but then drops out when Jerry Jr. goes to the University of Virginia Law School, and so she kind of follows him there, and they get married after what she calls a boring wedding, and they eventually have three children, Trey, Carol, and Wesley, and they're very entwined in each other's lives. Um, you know, she helps a lot with everything that he is involved in. And then they, you see this quote that I guess Jerry Jr. would say, and he was quoting his dad. And I guess the quote is, when people tell lies about you, just be glad they don't know the truth. And he says it like it's a fucking joke. In any case, Jerry Jr. is actually a bit of a black sheep in this family because he wasn't a conventional evangelical. He wasn't a minister. He wasn't a preacher. He thought he would support the ministry on the business side of things. But he was never a good fit to be in a public-facing role. 
And eventually he does have one because he becomes president of Liberty University. And he does this to help his father bring back the university financially. But it turns out the students there did take to him. They liked his quirkiness. And he ends up gaining a lot of power from this position as the president of the university. So back to 2012, Becky ends up calling Giancarlo. This is April, so a month later, and asks him to come to the Florida Keys. And this is different because this isn't just going to a hotel room and then going back home. He can't go home if he goes to the Keys. He's going to be staying there. And the sleeping arrangements end up being that he and Becky are in one bed and then Jerry sleeps next to the bed. Um, obviously he does go and he says the dynamic between them at this time is that he just liked being around them. He would talk about business with Jerry and he was obviously really impressed by both Becky and Jerry and they are talking on the phone every day after this. So things are progressing really quickly and she basically becomes his girlfriend. He says she's sending him love songs and talking to him all the time, texting him all the time. And it's only three weeks after they meet that she is already saying, I love you to Giancarlo. They do end up inviting him to New York at one point and he stays the weekend and they're at a hotel on Park Avenue having fancy dinners. And he's kind of worried about getting discovered because they are not subtle people like at all. And, you know, they kind of blow it off, though. And Jerry starts talking to him about how he needs to start making his own money. And he says that he's going to get Giancarlo a stake in some kind of investment. And Giancarlo is really excited about it because he has always wanted to invest in real estate. And he's basically thinking this is his chance to do that. So they do talk about it a little bit, but Giancarlo says Jerry quickly wanted to get back to the hotel room. And when, when they get back there, Becky does say that, like, this is the night. They can go all the way tonight, that she and Jerry have talked about it. And the documentary has some hilarious music at this point. So if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. So after this, the relationship intensifies and... Yeah, warning for gratuitous sexual content here. But Giancarlo goes into detail about what they do sexually. Like, you know, he would finish and then Jerry would go for round two is, I think, how he puts it. And I just want to say no kink shaming from me, just Jerry followed junior shaming. Okay. So Giancarlo starts looking for real estate and he reaches out to a friend of his, Jesus Fernandez Jr. And his father, who's Jesus Fernandez Sr. And they are real estate brokers. Well, as far as, far as Giancarlo knows, he thinks they're real estate brokers. Giancarlo's sister calls them bullshit artists. And, you know, she ends up being right about a lot of things <laughs> because these guys have a rap sheet, but. Giancarlo doesn't know about it. And they convince him that what he should invest in is a hostel. And it's the Miami hostel on South Beach. 
and the Fernandezes convince him this is a good bet. So he tells Jerry to come see it and invest. And uh, the writer of that book is basically like, what does Jerry from Lynchburg, Virginia know about Miami real estate? Like Jerry, at this point, he should have done some due diligence on who these Fernandez people were because this was a four and a half million dollar business that they were going to basically buy for Giancarlo. Now, the Fernandezes immediately think this is weird that these Falwell people are going to be doing this for Giancarlo. They don't buy any of Giancarlo's excuses. I mean, they smell the money. They smell the blood in the water. The long con has already started. So it takes a few months to close the deal. And even by the time this deal closes, the friendship between Giancarlo and the Fernandezes has basically fractured. The Fernandezes basically vanish at this point. So this is months after meeting the Falwells that he basically has this property to run. And the LLC that's established is called Alton Hostel. And the equity distribution is 50.1% is Becky's, 25% is Jerry's, and then 24.9% is Giancarlo's. And at this point, he thinks his dreams are coming true. But in hindsight, he sees it was basically about keeping him close, keeping him on a leash, and maybe for Jerry, keeping his wife happy. So by June, July of this year, the same year, because it's happening so quickly, this is 2012, that summer, Giancarlo meets someone, and someone his own age, and so he wants to break it off with the Falwells, the like romantic, sexual, whatever you want to call it, side of their relationship. But Becky basically keeps telling him that God put them together and she cries and Jerry doesn't understand. He says, why don't we just continue this? Your new girlfriend doesn't have to know about it. And Giancarlo's like, I can't do that. But he can't completely pull himself away. He is still keeping up an emotional side to this affair. He's still returning her texts. He is still calling Becky. Um, if he doesn't respond to Becky, Jerry will call him. Um, but he is feeling like this has all morphed into controlling him through the business because he can't completely cut them off. He's in business with them. And there's a conversation that Giancarlo has with Becky at some point that summer when he is with his girlfriend. She mentions something that makes him realize that they have been recording him when they have sex, which he did not realize at the time. So it's not until this point that he realizes they have video of him having sex with Becky. In September of that year, uh, they talked to him about possibly coming to Lynchburg and coming to Liberty University and meeting Donald Trump. And Giancarlo is so excited. Like, it was kind of hilarious how he was so excited about it. And he is really clear to say that, you know, Donald Trump in 2012 is not what he is now, that he was just the guy on TV, he was the apprentice. And 
he was a businessman. He wasn't running for president. And his sister comes on and is like, yeah, Giancarlo loved Donald Trump. He was so excited. So when Giancarlo arrives in Lynchburg, he realizes that he has been brought into a world that he just had never really imagined. He's super impressed by Liberty University. This is a $2 billion campus. But he is so used to Miami, and Miami's a melting pot of people. So he immediately notices the lack of diversity here. Like, there are no black people here, he says. It's just all white evangelicals. There is backstory on that in the documentary. They talk about Jerry Falwell Sr., who founded the university, how he basically chooses the side against the civil rights movement. He supports segregation and he created these white Christian schools. So that's the whole purpose of Liberty Universities ever being created. And that's obviously the reason why Giancarlo is only seeing white people here. So again, this is September 24th, 2012. And Giancarlo is there waiting and Trump and Jerry walk in and he gets to meet Trump. Donald Trump signs Giancarlo's book. And he is seeing sort of for the first time, how powerful Jerry is. And he's feeling really special. Like, he feels like he is part of their inner circle. Michael Cohen is there as well. And he does say he feels like Michael Cohen was kind of suspicious of him right away. And, I mean, let's be real. Michael Cohen probably realized there was something up there immediately. Because that's what Michael did. He dug shit up on people. He was uh, basically Trump's fixer at the time, if you don't really know who he is. Anyway, Trump speaks at a convocation at Liberty University. Giancarlo's like right there in the front with the Falwells. And he's starting to see and think about everything at this event and the university. It's all about showing power. But he also sees that there is so much hypocrisy here. The students at Liberty University have an honor code. There's no dancing. There's no drinking. They have to dress modestly. There's supposed to be no sexual relations. And Giancarlo is seeing them run this university, but he knows what they're really like. He has seen them partying at the Fontainebleau and, you know, picking up pool boys like him. And he does say that he feels guilty about this. He feels like the students are being duped, uh, but no one's going to do anything about it when this family is this powerful. And honestly, Giancarlo is seduced by the power as well. Now, Giancarlo and his girlfriend, his real girlfriend, break up, and he just goes back to the sexual relationship that he had with Becky he says in the documentary that he felt like he owed them, that they had this hold on him, not even just financially, but psychologically. And at some point during this, he becomes friendly with their children as well, because he's just always around. And he's kind of looked at outwardly or publicly as one of their siblings. He ends up going to Trey's wedding, like that's how interwined he is with this family and he thinks that the idea of being caught must have been 
part of the excitement for them, like having him there in plain sight all the time. And the family did take a lot of trips to Miami. So when they would be in Miami, Becky would sneak away to have sex with him. And it became a joke in their family, like, where's Becky? And he said they even had shirts made that said, where's Becky? And so at this point, he is having this sexual relationship with Becky without Jerry being in the room. But Jerry was fine with it because they were recording it all for Jerry. Um, And he says he even felt like Jerry was the one putting the pressure on sometimes. Like he wanted this to be happening. But Giancarlo says it was already exhausting for him because he felt like he was lying to everyone. Um, and he wasn't used to it. He he felt like they were professionals at living a double life, but he wasn't. He felt like he was becoming a liar, and he just didn't really want to do it anymore. Now, in October of 2014, this is when the Fernandezes, you know, rear their heads they start making claims and threats, and they have a lawyer contact Giancarlo saying that they are owed a 50% stake in the business. And they also say that they have compromising images. And immediately, Giancarlo is panicked. He feels like things are crumbling. He is paranoid. He calls Jerry. He tells Jerry they're being blackmailed. And a few, a month later, November, they are in mediation. The Falwell attorneys want to make an offer to the Fernandezes, but they want more. Like they want every penny they can get. Now, Giancarlo immediately wants to go to the FBI. Like he does not want to mess around with the Fernandezes anymore. But Jerry immediately is like, no, we can't do that. And if you think about it, Jerry can't. <laughs> He couldn't. He couldn't testify under oath when he has things he needs to hide. So Jerry is lying to his attorneys, though, about what's really happening. And Giancarlo is realizing that these attorneys are not for him. They're not looking out for his best interests. They are looking out for Jerry's best interests. And he really feels like I'm. he's going to get screwed. So at this point, he decides that he needs to tell his parents because if anything comes out about this, he would rather they heard it from him first. And Becky ends up calling him and he tells her how stressed he is, that he wants out of this. And Becky tells him not to worry because Michael Cohen is going to take care of this. And it did seem like the problems went away, at least for a while, obviously. <laughs> if it had gone away for real, we wouldn't be here. But after this, it's Michael Cohen who now owns this info. It's Michael Cohen who has these images. Now, in May of the next year, so this is 2015, Giancarlo is still running the hostel. And Jerry and Becky say they're in Miami and they need to talk to him about something serious. Jerry ends up offering him a million dollars for the property in South Beach. And also says he's got this hotel property in Lynchburg that he wants to give equity stake in to Giancarlo as well. And Giancarlo basically accepts immediately. He says, you know, they have to wait until after the lawsuit, I guess. But And Jerry keeps trying to get him to work for Liberty University. 
And Giancarlo does feel like they're just trying to keep a closer eye on him at this point. And this is also when Jerry tells him that Trump is going to run for president and that they're going to want Jerry's endorsement and that Jerry is going to get more involved in politics. And then there's a part of the documentary here that goes into evangelicals in the 1970s talking about how they were really looking for some new issues because they were obviously on the wrong side of the civil rights movement. So they kind of go into some other issues that they want to roll with, like anti-feminism, anti-pornography, homophobia, basically roll back progressive issues. And then they hit on what they decide is the perfect issue, abortion. Now, Falwell Sr. realizes the issue is one that evangelicals can really weaponize. He doesn't even give a sermon on abortion until five years after Roe v. Wade. So it's obvious this isn't actually about abortion. It's about power, in particular political power. Now, is this super relevant to the story? I don't know. I guess it adds to what Giancarlo sees as the hypocrisy of Jerry Jr., and about the rise of political power with evangelicals. So I guess that's the connection there. But once Donald Trump's running for president, Jerry does give his endorsements. And Jerry is everywhere campaigning for Trump at this time. Now, July 2016, this is four days before the Republican convention, Jerry texts Giancarlo and tells him, like, there's a new plan. If Cohen slash Trump buys them out, then Giancarlo will get $600,000. And Giancarlo just wants out. Like, he'll, he wants the money, and basically he wants to get away from all this. Now, the election goes to Trump, and now Jerry feels like a kingmaker. Like, he feels even more powerful than he did before. And Liberty University is this really powerful political Trump weapon at this point. Giancarlo calls it indoctrination. You can definitely tell what Giancarlo really thinks about all this throughout the documentary. And they do talk about how anybody who tried to go up against Jerry basically gets fired or, you know, ends up having to resign. So, Jerry's ego is just growing and he's becoming even more arrogant of a person. And the culture at Liberty University is changing because Jerry talks about how it's better to be the kingmaker than the king. And he has really just, he thinks he's untouchable. He's drinking all the time. He carries vodka with him everywhere. He smells of alcohol. And no one at Liberty is even thinking about holding him accountable for this. And at one point, I guess he even sends Giancarlo a photo of himself with a student or a former student where she's exposing herself to him. And he can tell, Giancarlo can tell they're like in the house on this farm that he's been to. And this farm is like a 500, 600 acre farm. And there are times when Giancarlo has been there, Jerry's practicing shooting, and he goes as far as to say that if Becky ever runs off, like if she tries to leave him and tries to divorce him, he knows where she'll be going. Like, obviously, she would be trying to run to Giancarlo, and that Jerry, he would have her killed. 
and Giancarlo is scared and he starts feeling like if these people want to get rid of him, they could make him disappear. He says Jerry's behavior was becoming more erratic. He keeps talking about a civil war and he has this extremely violent rhetoric and Giancarlo feels like he is seeing the violence that has led from this rhetoric. And, you know, he knows the truth. Like he knows that Jerry is not who he portrays himself as. Now at this point, journalists are looking into things. Like they are looking into the backgrounds of the Falwells, everything that's happening because of how close you know, Jerry is to Trump. And they find the litigation. They find the lawsuit between the Falwells and the Fernandezes. And that's when they start contacting Giancarlo. And he knows things are going to blow up. Journalists are digging. There are rumors and stories that are starting to spread. And this is when Giancarlo becomes a meme about the pool boy, being the pool boy in this. And I had kind of forgotten all about that, but I do vaguely remember all that happening. And he says this is when he really fell into a depression. Now, at this point, Tom Arnold shows up, which was weird. But I guess he ends up taping Michael Cohen talking about the Falwells at one point. And he had been, like, trying to find everyone who eventually gets pushed out of Trump's circle. And so Tom Arnold ends up getting the photos that Michael Cohen had, the incriminating photos of Becky and Giancarlo. Anyway, very weird. But also Michael Cohen does talk about not just that, but in his book, he basically says that he was called in and, you know, made this blackmail of the Fernandezes go away. And when he asked Jerry to endorse Trump, you know, he called in the favor. Now, Giancarlo basically says Jerry would have endorsed Trump anyway, but the stuff Michael Cohen had on him was just insurance. And Jerry says Michael Cohen never blackmailed him, and there was no quid pro quo. But, I mean, did anybody really need to say anything for all that to be understood? Probably not. In August of 2018, Giancarlo's trying to put his life back together He gets accepted to grad school at Georgetown, so he is moving into his place in D.C., and Becky starts texting him, and they invite him to this event at the Trump Hotel. And he ends up bringing his family with him, and his family is very turned off by everything they see there. And then after this, he realizes just how hard it's going to be going forward to get hired because everyone is going to see what he's been involved in when they Google him. Now, what I was thinking is if I were him, I'd probably just change my name. But, you know, anyway, he get he does get an internship, but then he stupidly, in my opinion, tells Becky and then all of a sudden the offer gets rescinded And he assumes that Jerry has butted in in this effort to keep him close and keep controlling him until the Falwells are basically their only option, his only option. And he feels like there's no way out. Everything is crumbling. 
He has lied and defended this family, and he's the one being persecuted in the press, and he feels like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, and this is when he becomes suicidal. He sends Becky a text saying that he is going to commit suicide, uh, but he does eventually say that he thinks about his family, that he could not make them go through that, um, so he obviously does not do that. Jerry does end up settling the lawsuit with the Fernandezes to make it go away. And Giancarlo feels betrayed by that. And at this point, Giancarlo is really disenchanted with them. He sees a lot of the problems in the country as stemming from people like the Falwells. He feels like the mood in our country was quite dire and that Trump just furthered that division in the country. He felt like Jerry was in part responsible for all the civil unrest. And he says that he decides to take back control of what's happening. And he thinks back to this speech that he listened to, that one when he was at Liberty University. And Trump said, don't let people take advantage of you. Get even. And so he decides... He's going to do that, and he's going to do that by stopping one of Trump's biggest allies. And he does tell Jerry that, you know, he's decided to go the kamikaze route because since they think it's okay to ruin his life, he just has nothing to lose. He says that meeting them was the worst thing that ever happened to him and that he's going to take them down with him. And all he has to do is tell the truth. So he does meet with an investigative reporter. And I, you know, I do believe Giancarlo. Do I think he did this interview in this documentary because he needed to expose their misdeeds to the public for democracy's sake? Not exactly. I'm sure he did think these things, but he waited until there was no longer any benefit to keeping the Falwell secrets anymore. So there's that, you know. Now, January 16th, 2019, there is a video that she sends him where she is stripped nude, walking about the house on a FaceTime call with him and showing him all the places in the house they have sex. And so he has got this video like as proof that the things that he has been saying are true. Now, there is a bit of a scandal that breaks, kind of some of the first cracks with Jerry or more of the same cracks with Jerry, because he accidentally posts an Instagram photo and then deletes it. And in the photo, he's got his pants unzipped. He's clearly drinking. And there's a woman next to him with her pants unzipped. And so at this point, Jerry takes a leave of absence and the Liberty... University board says they're going to send him to rehab. And then the day before Giancarlo's story is supposed to run, Jerry goes on record saying that Giancarlo's been blackmailing him. But, you know, he basically just puts that out there. He's not got any, you know, fact checks or anything like that. But of course, Giancarlo's article is very fact checked. So, it comes out and has immediate repercussions. Jerry resigns and Liberty University ends up suing Jerry for like $40 million. 
And that's when other students and people start coming forward about Jerry and what they know about Jerry. And really, it puts Liberty University under fire. And the underbelly of what was really happening at this university starts to come to the public's attention. Now, he also mentions, Giancarlo, that people connected to Jerry through the Falkirk Center, which I think is Jerry's, like, think tank, that these people were involved in the January 6th insurrection. And basically, the white Christian evangelicals taking power in politics has had really dire consequences for our democracy, and that that was why he felt he had to come forward. But ultimately, I would say that the personal betrayals, I think, had at least as much to do with Giancarlo coming forward. But I would love to know all your thoughts on this one. So if you want to share them with me, you can find me on Instagram at Let's Talk About It. And you can also let me know there on Instagram what documentary you want me to talk about next. Or you can email me at Let's Talk About It at gmail.com. I do have a poll up on Spotify about what kind of documentaries you'd like me to talk about. So check that out. Vote there as well. And I will be back next week with another documentary to talk about. Bye.